You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Matthew Wayne Selznick. Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey. Yes, the, the newly fathered Brian yes. Humphrey. <laughs> and uh, you're listening to a special episode of the Roundtable podcast, 20 Minutes With. That's right. 20 Minutes With is the Roundtable's opportunity to spend some time jamming with the hip cats that come through our studio. Uh, we're talking about craft on this show, and we're going into detail about how they create the awesome work that they create and gleaning all the tips and tricks that we can from that process. It's a big old jam session up in this mo. I love that. Yes. Oh, we're, we're rocking the good. music metaphors today. How can you not, considering who we got? Excellent point. Excellent yes. point. And, and Ryan, I, although I know that you and our guest host have history, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> allow me to introduce you and our listeners to our guest host. Um, now, I, I want you to, to close your eyes and picture this scene for me, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. A small boy of seven or eight stands in the middle of his bedroom. His bed has been stripped and then covered in green felt and crumpled green and brown construction paper with little green army men and plastic dinosaurs deployed through the peaks and crevices. Now, in the middle of the floor is an impromptu fort built from five different cannibalized Lego sets and Lincoln logs, protecting a He-Man action figure and three G.I. Joes. Now, these are the old-school 11-inchers, not these wussy two-inch figures that they make today, right? (laughs) Now, now, a length of twine runs from the middle of the fort to the top of a dresser where a Transformer Autobot is poised to slide down in case He-Man and the Joes need assistance. Because on the dresser, the arrayed forces of Skeletor, a giant rubber spider, a robot of indeterminate licensing, and a T-Rex are preparing to launch an assault on the forces of truth and justice. Can you see it, Ryan? <laughs> I think it's in my room right now. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this is the drama that that will take days <laughs> to play out, during which this little boy will sleep in a sleeping bag under his bed to ensure the tableau is untainted as the nice. saga unfolds. Awesome. Now, this, my friend, is the childhood of our guest host, an endless saga of adventures conjured from his imagination. Later, he would read of Tarzan and John Carter of Mars and other Edgar Rice Burroughs classics. He'd eventually move on to Ray Bradbury, and really, you can't fault our guest host for having exquisite taste. <laughs> Later on in high school, he would write a series of short stories immortalizing his circle of friends as the characters of his tales. Now, so interested in storytelling was he that he would also pick up the bass guitar, discovering music as another way to convey story. And he got pretty damn good, too. At one point, (laughs) he was even given the opportunity to fill in for the bass player of the band X while he was touring with his own band, slapping out the funk on a 1972 (laughs) Gibson Ripper. Uh... Yes. Now, now, according to our guest host, playing the Ripper is like wrestling with your lover, he says. Nobody gives ground. You come away satisfied and sweaty. And no matter how it turns out, everybody wins. Now, our guest host has always had something of an independent streak. And if he can, he'll do it himself mm-hmm. rather than look for permission or blessing from someone else. And that's how he got into podcasting. 
around October 7th, 2004. He heard about this cool thing called podcasting, and a week later, he joined the Podosphere with his first podcast. That's just how he rolls. He has written, played, and produced his way through the last decade with the novel Brave Men Run, a novel of the Sovereign Era that he released and podcasted in 2008. In 2010, the Sovereign Era Year One, a collection of tales set in the Sovereign Era, including authors J.C. Hutchins, Mer Lafferty, Nathan Lowell, and P.G. Hollyfield, was released. Uh, he wrote World Building for Writers, Gamers, and Other Creators, Volume 1, and was a contributor to Eighth Day Genesis, a world-building codex for writers and creatives. I'm sensing a theme here. Mm -hmm. uh, and he just recently successfully kickstarted the sequel to Brave Men Run, titled Pilgrimage. Uh, he has countless uh, music offerings out there on the interwebs. He is basically, friends, a freelance creative, a, a mercenary of mojo, offering such services as story consultation, publishing and ebook creation, web hosting, site development, search optimization, brand and platform strategizing, social media consultation, interactive marketing and community management, podcasting and production. The list goes on and on. And... He just launched the very awesome IndieAuthorMarketing.info online community for self and indie publishers. Ladies and gentlemen, mm -hmm. so much awesomeness to bring to the big chair at the Roundtable Podcast. Please welcome Matthew Wayne Selznick. Matt, dude, thank you so much for, for taking some time and, and sharing some of your mojo with us and our listeners. We appreciate it. Oh, it's it's a uh, it's a great pleasure to be back on the show. And uh, as always, you you did the uh, the full on James Lipton uh, <laughs> deep bio. <laughs> He's stacking <laughs> cards right now as you say that. <laughs> now that that opening scene, how 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 on was I? How close was I? Well, I'll tell you what, you were on, but you were about a decade off. Oh crap. Uh, because uh, by the time He-Man and all that Transformers and stuff was on TV, I was I was already in uh, late junior high or high school. Okay. For me, those toys would have been the eight-inch uh, Miko superhero and Star Trek and Planet of the Apes action figures. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, and the little uh, the little molded plastic green army men and and assorted mm. dinosaur. Uh, uh, figurines and whatnot. Um, and, and what I would do is I would set up, you had it right with different sides of the, of the, uh, room and everything, different sides of the army and definitely <laughs> a full on story going back and forth. And they would of course be at war, these different teams. Of course. Oh, and let's not forget the Micronauts. They were part of the, equation. Oh yes. yes. Um, God, you're and, taking me down memory lane, man. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and for the toys that didn't actually shoot, you know, missiles and things like that, I used rubber bands. Perfect. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they say children have great, greater reflexes than adults. I got so good with the rubber band that. <laughs> I could shoot a fly out of midair. <laughs> He's like a ninja. He's a rubber band right. ninja. Exactly. Exactly. And believe me, that skill went away. It atrophied eventually. That's but, too bad. Uh, Cause I could see there'd be a lot of use for that in modern hmm, day. No kidding. Yeah. 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 And it was all because I was shooting at little green army men, you know, and trying to, to knock them down from, you know, 
eight feet across the room. <laughs> I think that's how Annie Oakley got her start, only with with sidearms. This all this all goes to lend credence to my new theory that the less points of articulation that a toy has, the more creative that kid will probably end up being when they grow up. There you go. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Well, because army men were zero. That's right. There was no articulation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I want to offer just two points of correction. Um, Please. I don't want to mislead folks or, or, or make my uh, the blowing of my horn sound uh, louder than it should be. I didn't actually uh, sit in for John Doe in X. I sat in on one song for John Doe with The Knitters, which was the X Blasters side project, um, which plays... Uh, sort of Americana music and, and country and bluegrass music. And, gotcha. Uh, okay. All right. Played a Jerry Lewis cover with them, which was a great honor, but it wasn't like, you know, playing Los Angeles or something. <laughs> right, right, right. Very uh, good. And the other thing is, is that Brave Men Run came out in 2005. Originally. Oh my. Okay. I'm, yeah. I need to modify my, my timeline then. <laughs> yeah. 2008 was the, was the reprint, the paperback reprint from Swarm Press. Ah, that's where I got that date from. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Yes. I, thank you. It's, you know, the spirit was there, if not the letter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and let's, let's continue and sustain that spirit. Let's start our, our, our 20 minutes with Matthew Wayne Selznick. I'll, I'll mark our, our timer here and we'll get the ball rolling. And, and I'm going to start off a little, a little woo woo and esoteric with you, Matt. Um, uh, I, I, I heard, I was listening to the dead robot society today, actually. And there was an interesting discussion that, that erupted in the midst of their dis- discourse about the difference between a writer and a storyteller. And I wanted to pose that question to you just to kick off our, our 20 minutes with what is, is there a difference between a writer and a storyteller? Is there a distinction between the two? To me, I, I, I would have to say that that is a matter of sets and supersets. Um, uh, you know, writing is a subset of storytelling. Writing is a tool to use in storytelling. Uh, and it's probably the, the go-to, and I'm sure that you could safely say that it's, it's at some point in the process involved with the many different forms of storytelling. But uh, I think, personally, I think you should consider yourself and think of your career as one of a storyteller first uh, who uses writing as part of your toolkit. Excellent. Excellent. I like that. And, and just to continue on this very, very lofty vein before we start drilling down to the details, what do you consider the qualities of a good storyteller? That's a pretty broad question. And I think it, it can, there's a lot of different answers there. I think at the, at the core, uh, well, let's narrow it down to what I try to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is to express in, in, in some way, usually through example or through, through uh, well, through story, uh, the human experience. And that's, that's a very broad thing to say, I realize. But I think if ultimately what you're doing is, is reflecting how, how humans are, <laughs> sure. how, we, how we see the world and each other and how, how we... Uh, uh, you know, find the solutions to our challenges, uh, then, then you're doing, you're on the right track. That's not to say that, that every, every story should, you know, have some great message or, uh, you know, be preachy in some way. You know, that's, that's one way that story can be used. But, but I think it's important that to really have a complete story, 
that your uh, the, the story that you're telling has some deeper element. You know, even if folks don't quite get it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some folks will, some folks won't. Some folks will see the explosions and the car chases and other people will see the character development. <laughs> sure. Sure, yeah. absolutely. And I apologize for ambushing you with this incredibly broad uh, <laughs> question. I mean, that 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 was that that bordered on the absurd uh, to try and nail that down in in a twenty minute with segment. But uh, I it's, I I think the answer to that question is different for each individual storyteller. And you, Matthew, are profoundly a storyteller with with all of the work that you've done not only literarily i'm making this shit up as i go um but also uh with your music and and with the uh, uh the stories that you evolve through your your marketing and consulting business and uh i i just i wanted to get a, a sense of your perspective on that because i think that might be valuable to our listeners well people respond to narratives um, uh, you know, th- this is why we gossip around the, the water cooler. Uh, we are built on story. You know, we, we express our uh, interpretation of the, the world and our experiences through story. Memory is story. So, um, yeah, it does all, uh, I think it's best when all of those things you mentioned employ uh, some sort of you know, dramatic sense, if you will, and not dramatic in the serious sense, but but uh, that there is a narrative story involved. You know, that's why you can sell coffee by by telling little thirty second uh, vignettes of of a son coming home and make everybody cry every Christmas. Uh, and again, I'm dating myself. Some people remember that series of commercials, and other people won't. Um, uh, but you know, I mean. Uh, what sticks in your mind longer, you know, um, the Jack in the Box marketing campaign um, where you've come to know that character with the clown ball on his head um, or, you know, people dancing to a song and selling jeans for the gap. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's what reverberates kind of at a deeper level for people. Um, And so that applies, you know, in the best films, in the best, fiction in the best nonfiction um you know the truman capote kind of got that ball rolling with in cold blood right i think narrative is is can only improve (laughs) (laughs) uh, forms of communication so yeah yeah, i do try to incorporate it into everything um as well as a certain sense of transparency um and not being afraid to reveal something of yourself in the process of the telling you know, for me, it was a couple of years before I realized what my first book was about for me. Um, but but that very much helped inform what the second book, which is a follow up, would uh, would have as its major themes. So, understanding telling your own story at the same time is is, is important. I think. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting you'd mentioned that too. I was curious about that. You, you you talk a lot about the thematic elements, about you know the narrative and all these things you just mentioned. And for me personally, having been a consumer of, of your material pretty much since, well, literally since Brave Men Run, um, there's always been that very personal sense to all that storytelling. I never feel there's a distance between that story and between me as a consumer of that story. So I was curious to hear whether or not you were cognizant of that narrative theme right from the get-go or if there were themes and tones 
tones and and underlying facets of those stories that presented themselves even to you after you'd gotten the ball rolling. And uh, I'm I'm interested to hear you kind of allude to that. I'm curious too. Do you find that as you're working on these pieces, these intensely or these personal moments that are cropping up in this work, um, that your instinct is to draw back or is to hold back? And if so, does do you have a way to kind of counteract that? Um, well, first of all, thank you for the, the wonderful compliment. Right? Hey, <laughs> what you've said basically is that that I've, I've it sounds to me like what you've said is that I've I've managed to do something universal, which which you know that's that's the goal. Every artist's um, dream. You got it. <laughs> yeah, and so if that's true, even if it's just true for you, Ryan, then, then <laughs> a sense of success. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should draw on your own experiences and definitely dip into the emotional well when you're writing. Um, but everything has to serve the story and you should have a pretty firm grip on what, you know, the story, capital T, capital S is supposed to be. And don't get it. Don't let it get derailed um, by getting too personal or getting too, uh, too trapped in your own, thing um you know put it aside and write your memoir next or something you know (laughs) but yeah no i uh think that uh the sign of a good little writing session is when you come away just exhausted whether it's 200 words or 2000 because you've been tapping the the serious stuff you know Mm -hmm. even if the scene is not serious as long as you're getting to the to the core emotion um, you, you'd better be feeling it yourself. Uh, and so, you know, having a little self-awareness and, and being aware of those underlying themes uh, can help you, help you get to that. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Matthew Wayne Selznick after this brief promotional break. The Flames. Any who step through may stride across the world and beyond. A precious, precious few. The ferrymen can guide you true through any flame and emerge from a crossing as young and strong as when first the flame kissed them. Fleets travel space for lifetimes, reach new worlds, challenge the black between galaxies, all thanks to the ferryman. But is there a price hidden in the ferryman's fire? A science fiction anthology featuring Matthew Sanborn Smith, J. Daniel Sawyer, Ed Robertson, Patrick McLean, Nathan Lowell, Brand Gamblin, Jason Andrew Bond, Jake Bible, and John Miro. Learn more at servingworlds.com. Walk the fire. The universe awaits. May the ferryman take you. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Matthew Wayne Selznick. And it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I'm not going to follow that up necessarily with a question, but I find I, I do find that fascinating, if not for any other reason than, especially in the music industry, um, and I air quote when I say industry, of course, um, <laughs> there's, this, uh, there's this prevalent concept, at least for me, that a lot of musicians had a theme or had a point when they were writing a given song. Uh, but then when it's kind of pitched out there to the masses, that is not necessarily the way it's interpreted or the way it's taken. Um, and I think a lot of that might have to do, of course, with the subjective nature of lyrics and you know the necessity for rhyme over being straight up narrative and whatnot. So it's interesting for me to hear you kind of make that point that you've, you better be aware and cognizant of your point as you're writing the piece. And then to know that that's going to go out there into the world and someone may not necessarily take it the same way you intended it, but they're still going to take it and they're going to get something from it. Yeah. 
yeah, um, that's the important thing is that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, of course you want people to follow the, the, the narrative flow, but, but you want to make sure that they're, they're feeling something that's, that's essential. Mm-hmm. And the way that you do that is by drawing on things that make you feel and, and hope there's resonance out there with the listener or the, uh, the listener or the, the reader. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe. Um, Matt, let me, let me take us in a slightly different direction here. Uh, part of the storytelling process of, of course, world building. And, uh, you, you've been active in the world building environment, crafting your own book, uh, and contributing to another one, the eighth day Genesis book. And I was wondering if you could encapsulate as, as you approach a new story or, or a new concept that you want to explore from a literary perspective, how do you approach the world building process? Uh, do you, first of all, does that come first or is that reserved for, for development during the story? And what are the elements, what, what's your, what's your approach to that? And how do you, how do you flesh it out, uh, during the course of your, your writing? Um, well, it, it depends. I mean, I, at, at this stage of the game, I have sort of an overarching, uh, um, multiverse uh of story worlds that all sort of tie together um and each of those story worlds is uh, you know has been developed over the years some to a great degree and others others are just sketches really um and uh when i'm thinking of a new story usually what starts is is the uh um is the characters is the the problem to be solved the uh um you know the theme the issue that that i'm trying to tackle um other times i mean to be honest other times that even comes later and it's just um thinking in terms of the larger arc what piece of this character's life do i want to tell or what part of this story world do we want to explore and then digging down and and discovering what what themes could be exposed there the actual world building itself is going to depend on of course upon the 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 type of of story uh i don't tend to think in terms of genre when i'm writing okay um I don't aim for, you know, this is going to be a young adult book with, uh, you know, metamorphic supernatural creatures. Um, <laughs> that comes out later. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it's, it, bottom line is, is if the world needs to feature those, then I'm going to think about it and I'm going to figure it out and have it make sense and be internally consistent. Um, but uh, at, at, at my stage... Um, I, I already have, um, you know, a, a sort of earth future history, um, uh, alternate history story world, which is the sovereign era and, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, a giant monster, uh, story world and a straight up fantasy story world and, and a sort of a supernatural story world. They all tie together, um, but they're all they're arenas for me to play in. So, um, you know, the Sovereign Era uh, is pretty well mapped out because I've I've played in it the most. Um, um, boy, I, I guess there's not a, a pat answer to that except that the world building. I'll say this: the world building should never ever uh, be more important than the story. 
Mm-hmm. There you go. It's 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 a real easy trap to fall into. To you know, um, it's a great form of procrastination. You know, I'm going to work on <laughs> and and how the blades of grass work and and uh, how many herbivores there are to every carnivore in this uh, particular part of this world and. Yeah, relax. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I know that you know from from reading, you know, either epic fantasy or sci-fi or whatever. Uh, a, a lot of times, it's it's those details and those nuances that really provide a hook in terms of how I'll interface with that story and whether that interface is a a, a positive, enthusiastic one or sort of a cool and reserved one. Um, is, is there, is there value in those, in those details, those world building details in terms of engaging with the reader and expanding the storyline? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, you have to set tone and whatnot and, and, uh, but you know, it's, is it always important to know if the starship door is an iris or it just slides side to side? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> At that point, it's just it's just set dressing. Um, but you should know a little bit about the economy uh, that drives the uh, starship, you know, uh, uh, because things like economy and government and whatnot uh, shape the perspectives of your characters. Uh, and at that point, it becomes a chicken egg thing. You know, do you shape the economy and all of that so that it reflects your characters and the the message that you're trying to get across or vice versa. I'm not sure. Uh, I tend to think in larger scale. So if I want to make a particular point, I've got a big canvas and I can, I can do a detail on a part of that canvas that matches the message I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. Sure. Without getting derailed Mm -hmm. by filling in the entire canvas. Right. Right. Because you are, you've already sort of sketched it out, you know, and uh, as long as I, You'll, you'll see, I'll, I'll use a television metaphor. Um, when showrunners are working on their series uh, and thinking about it in the American sense of the series where the entire series is broken up into seasons for our international listeners who are used to a series being each season. Um, so they're looking at the arc of their entire series and they're thinking, okay, you know, we might get a season we might get 22 episodes. We might get lucky, and uh, and the studio will order another season, etc. So they have an arc. They have their, their their dream arc that they're going to tell their whole story in 22 episode segments over the course of five or six years. Or you know, and, and then when it, within each of those uh, those uh, seasons, they have their 22 uh, 22 episode arc. And, of course, within each of those 22 episodes is an arc. And each one of those follows the same basic uh, storytelling pattern. Sure. Um, and, and, but always having an eye on that larger arc um, and making sure that things kind of fit in. That's why I always encourage creators um, to think in terms of story worlds. Uh, don't think in terms of, of this single story. Don't think in terms of the three-volume fantasy trilogy or, you know, the, 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 the typical trilogy you're going to write or the five-volume series or whatever. Think in terms of all the stories that can be told in this world and what is the point of this story world. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, 
and and you know, again, you don't have to fill in every 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 square, but have a general idea, and it will influence and inform the smaller pieces, and ultimately make it make it more rich. Um, and I know I've, I've sort of answered that question in a, in a meta sense, uh, but hopefully. Somewhere in there is the answer. That's okay. <laughs> Our listeners are a very intelligent crew, Matt. They'll they'll infer, they'll deduce, and they'll deconstruct. They'll they'll find <laughs> the gold. Absolutely. That's right. And it's interesting, too. I like that. I, I, I'm going to misquote this or get it wrong, but I seem to recall years ago hearing um, someone debating with, with one of the writers or one of the creators of the Star Trek television show questioning the speed of a the Enterprise or one of their ships because it seems to go this fast in one episode and then this fast in the next one. And when asked directly how fast can the Enterprise go, the response was it moves at the speed of plot. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and I always I always liked that. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. Who cares? It doesn't it doesn't change anything to to water it down, distill it down into that core ingredient, the hops and the barley would just ruin the beer. So sure. um to yeah. a degree, yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and, and you know, there's there's been a lot of there there has been a lot over the in recent years a lot of of tie-in novelizations that have been going on. A lot of the D and D role playing universes have been novelizationed, novelized, novelized. Yes, and and when you transition from this very measured. Uh, uh, it's not a question of who cares. It's no, I know exactly how long this spell lasts. It lasts two to eight rounds, or I know how many hit dice this giant has or whatever. And then (laughs) transitioning that into a literary environment where the rules are a little fuzzier. Um, I, I can only imagine, and I, I, I know with this group, we're kind of speculating as to that. I don't know, Matthew, have you ever done uh, uh, a tie in fiction at all or contemplated that? Uh, I haven't, but I mean, I, I would be open to it if anybody's listening. Uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you what, I have used role-playing resource guides um, as a tool in world building, which I'm sure many writers have, because it lets you, uh, it, it's a great shortcut for sort of quantifying some of these ideas and for ensuring uh, a sort of uh, internal consistency. Sure. Uh, Sure. We just had we just had Lou Anders on, and he uh, he doesn't he hasn't rolled a dice in uh, a die in in decades, uh, but he still collects the source material for exactly that reason for world yes. building. Yeah, totally. I I, I uh, pledged to the new edition of Traveler to that Kickstarter, and I can't wait. Oh uh, God, I, yes. The Traveler. original game designer is back in charge, and uh, it's a it's a complete reimagining and reupdating and. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a, a, a wonderful thing to have just for inspiration. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have well, a quote that might apply to, uh, to to what Ryan was talking about with the uh, the speed of plot. Yes. One of my favorite quotes. It's from David Simon, who is the uh, creator of The Wire, among other things. Uh, and he was asked, uh, I cannot remember the source, um, but this is widely available on the internet. He was asked about the... Uh, the question of exposition and, and verisimilitude, uh, specifically relating to, to the wired, but basically the idea that, you know, how much do you feel like you have to explain to the viewers or the reader, and how much are you just going to assume they're going to pick up as they go along? And I love this. This is, I, I, for a while, I had this quote on a piece of paper above my keyboard. Uh, and I'm glad we have a, uh, an explicit rating because uh, he drops nothing. 
I, I, I take this as gospel. He says, my standard for verisimilitude, verisimilitude is simple, and I came to it when I started to write prose narrative. Fuck the average reader. I was always told to write for the average reader in my newspaper life. The average reader, as they meant it, was some suburban white subscriber with two-point-whatever kids and three-point-whatever cars and a dog and a cat and lawn furniture. He knows nothing, and he needs everything explained to him right away so that exposition becomes this incredible story-killing burden. Fuck him. Fuck him to hell. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and in a way, he has basically said, essentially, don't insult the audience by thinking they're stupid. Right. Exactly. So I, you know, uh, you, you know, you don't have to have uh, everything spelled out for you right away. And if the writing is entertaining enough and the characters are interesting enough and the conflict is there at every beat and every scene and there's something to keep you turning the pages, you will very willingly say, huh, I don't understand quite what's going on, but this is a fun ride and I trust that eventually I will know. Exactly. Exactly. Author's responsibility to make sure that you, you, you yeah, make sure you pay off, make sure you deliver the goods. But yeah, the, the the best writing experiences have been almost like a banter with the reader, where you can almost you can almost sense the the trust that the author has in the reader, and you can't help but as a reader recognizing that return that trust uh, in kind. So yeah. that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That and and gentlemen, as, as much as I would love to continue this discourse, <laughs> um, um, the the writer, the, the not the writer, the clock on my desk uh, has said "fuck you, Dave," and has actually just kind of stormed off and and assumed I'm a moron. Uh, but we are out of time, uh, uh, so I, I'm going to have to draw this to a close. But but Matthew, thank you so much for for sharing uh, uh, your insights and and inspirations and your favorite quotes. This this has been awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great fun. Great yes, fun. indeed. Yes, indeed. Ryan, what, what what did you take away from this one, man? What what, what oh, so stuck much. out in your head? So much. This this one I've been looking forward to. There's, <laughs> I, I just like the fact that we're talking to someone who understands the world building, world, understands everything from that great universal scale all the way down to the the details of, of the character. It's it's just it's really expanded a lot of how I consider my own story worlds and the fact that I tend to focus on the narrow. So I'm going to take from this that I'm going to start focusing on the bigger scheme and not worry so much about the speed of warp. <laughs> That's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. And I and I agree. I mean, uh, Matthew has has distinguished himself and earned his seat at the at the not only the world builder but the story builders table. I think uh, as as you describe, I I really appreciated the reminder uh, of revealing of the self. It's so easy to get caught up in in the tropes and the projection of the characters that you're working with. And, and it's good to be reminded that, you know, those characters are real because you are infusing their reality into them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has to come from you. You can't infer it. You can't, uh, uh, you, 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 I guess you can try to fake it, but, you know, the, the savvy reader is going to pick up on that. The authenticity of your own emotion that you infuse uh, will convey authenticity upon your characters. So that was very cool. That's deep. <laughs> I'm a deep guy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, friends, it is getting deep around here. And um, I, I, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, and if that is the case, then please do us the privilege and the favor of, of spreading the word. Letting, letting the folks uh, uh, that don't know about the roundtable discover the awesomeness that is the deep hip, hip waiter tastiness of the roundtable <laughs> discussions. 
Um, uh, a trip out to iTunes for a rating or a review is never refused. And thank you to those who have. Uh, you can follow us out on Twitter. We're at Writers Podcast. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. Now, friends, you're, you're sitting here going, but, but, but Matthew knows so much about worlds and stories. We want more. Well, come back in a couple of days and we will have Matthew back to the big chair and we will workshop a story that, that I, I can't give anything away, but oh my God, it is epic in scope, surreal in magnitude and, and multi-hued in spectrum. Uh, so do return in a couple of days for that bit of awesomeness. Uh, until then, uh, Ryan, what, water bottles and pens? Is that it? <laughs> you got it, brother. You got it. <laughs> Stay hydrated. That's right. <laughs> and uh, Brian, who who is still uh, uh, recovering mm-hmm. from the, the rigors of, of postpartum parenthood, uh, uh, I know he, he sends his best to all and, and admonishes all of you to go right. And I will tell you, friends, you find what you're looking for. So don't look for me. Look for wow. And you will find it. I promise. We will see you in a couple of days. Until then, you guys stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.